Daniel, I've been speaking English all my life and you did better than me. That's good. Uh, thank you. Well, at the end, uh, at the end of the evening, we're going to probably take a break, but we'll have a business meeting about 10 after 7. If you want to support Daniel even tonight, if you want to help him, because he's going to be traveling. Where did you say you're going to Utah? Yeah, two weeks he's going to Utah. Uh, he's traveling around. If you want to be a blessing to him uh, financially, you certainly have that opportunity later this evening. And um, uh, we, we as a church try to uh, always work not only through the cooperative program, but through, uh, you know, through giving directly to missionaries. And, and Daniel certainly could be one of those. So you can put your name and your, your information on the paper that he puts out there if you want to have more information, but uh, uh, you'll have opportunity to do that in a while. Thank you, Daniel, so much for sharing. Uh, I am encouraged um, seeing God work and being able to hear. We have uh, missionaries like Daniel all over the world. We have, we have folks in New Zealand, uh, Nicaragua, Kenya, and, and Africa, Mombasa, and now the Wells family is there ministering that went out. Um, God's blessed us, so we have hope for the world in Albania. And so uh, the gospel is going out in the world. And Daniel, you're right. If one person gets saved, it's worth all the effort. It's worth everything that we could do. So thank you for sharing. Well, let's spend a few minutes this evening in our, in our message series on the ministry of Jesus. So if you'll turn to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And there are really, in this passage, two ministries rolled into one and we and as time permits we'll try to go through both of them but we'll, we'll get through uh, get through them as best we can uh there's a man in this passage named jairus who uh, who has a, a tragedy in his life and we're going to look at that in just a moment there's also a woman in this passage who had a tragedy in her life and jesus meets both of those needs now let me set the context jesus in chapter five as you come into chapter five of mark Jesus had just been over in Gadara in the Gadarenes, and you'll remember the uh, demoniacs that were in the caves, and they came out, and, and Jesus cast a demon out of them. And, and one of my, I just love that that story. The the demon said, "Can we go into the Can we go into the swine?" There was a herd of swine, and they went into the swine, and of course the swine weren't having any of that, so they ran down the hill and drowned themselves. Fantastic story. But the people were afraid there, and they came out and they asked Jesus to leave. And there's a whole message in that. How sad when Jesus shows up and people reject him and ask him to leave and people do that every day. Well, when Jesus left, he came back over uh, to the west side of the Sea of Galilee, most likely back to Capernaum. And verse 21 of Mark 5 picks up with Jesus arriving and the large crowds that, that come there when Jesus came back. So look in verse 21 and let's begin this passage of Jesus's ministry. It says, now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. And it means they pressed in on him and they were all up against him. Uh, the picture in your mind would be uh, like, a, like you see on TV of a celebrity and people just pressing in on them and wanting to touch them and be near them. And that's the way it was as this man, uh, Jairus, comes. Now, think about the this, this situation. Here's a dad 
has a 12-year-old daughter who's sick unto death. She's at death's door. And I'm sure being a, a religious leader there in most likely Capernaum and being a ruler of the synagogue, that I'm sure he had prayed and he had done everything that he knew how to do and, and physicians and, and medicine and everything, and yet his daughter uh, was about to die. And, and at some point, uh, Jairus remembered this preacher, Jesus, who had been there in Capernaum and whom I'm sure he had heard preach and seen the miracles. And so he, he decides to come. Now think about uh, the things we should draw out of this. This tragedy is driving this man to consider things he might not otherwise consider. And I want you to understand, sometimes God does that to us. Sometimes God brings us into a situation in life to get our attention. To, to make us stop looking around and look at him. And I think that's what happened in Jairus' life. Let's think about what we know about this man. Well, it says here he's a, a ruler in the synagogue. Now, what that means in this case is he's among the elders, probably the lead elder, who's responsible for the services in the synagogue. He's responsible for preparation and making sure the facilities are right and that the people who are speaking come in and speak. So he's, he's a man of authority. He's a man of reputation in town. He's a man who's used to being able to move in among the people and, and is respected. But we notice in this case that Jairus sets his dignity aside. He sets aside this pretense of position because what does he do? His heart is so broken over his daughter that he comes in the, in the midst of a crowd of people and he falls at the feet of Jesus. And the idea might be that he just falls on his knees, but in the Oriental custom, it would be to fall on his knees and put his forehead on the ground. And so this man who would normally be of great dignity and position comes before Jesus and he lays that dignity aside to seek the help of the Savior. It would be like today, a, a prominent person uh, who dresses fine and, and is, moves among the upper levels of society today comes and falls at the feet of Jesus in front of the whole town, in front of everybody. He didn't care what anybody thought about him. He laid aside all of his pretense. Not only did he lay aside his pretense, but he laid aside his pride. You know, when a, when a person is elevated to a place of prominence in society, there tends to be a, a bit of pride that comes along with that. A person begins to sometimes think more of themselves than they should. But Jairus laid aside his dignity and he laid aside his pride and he came and he laid, laid himself before Jesus to ask for himself. You know, I would suppose that some of his colleagues and his peers who ran in his religious circle didn't like Jesus. In fact, we know that most of the religious leaders didn't like Jesus. And, and what we find here is that Jairus didn't care what they thought. He only knew what was in his heart and so he humbled himself before God you know, sometimes as Christians, we got to not worry about what other people think, don't we? We have to not worry about what other people's opinions of us are because I've often said this, there's only one person in the entire universe that I have to make happy outside of my wife. And that's Jesus, right? There's only one person in the entire universe that I have to really consider, is he happy with what I'm doing? And it's Jesus, not my neighbor, not the people that are watching me, not people around me, not not prestigious people or people in power or position, not people who want to be your friend, but Jesus. So what does Jairus do? He lays aside his dignity, he lays aside his pride. And then, and then really the fourth thing that we see about Jairus is, is faith. I don't know what his faith was like before this incident happened. 
But I can tell you as a parent, and I'm sure you can relate as a parent or a grandparent, when your children are sick, it bothers you more than anything. When your children are sick, it bothers you more than if you're sick or if an adult is sick because children aren't supposed to be sick, okay? Children are young and full of life and they're not supposed to be ill. And so I can only imagine this man having exhausted all of his efforts to, to try to minister to his daughter and nothing worked, but he had faith. He heard about Jesus and he saw Jesus. Now I mentioned this morning that if you look at the faith of Jairus, it wasn't, it wasn't a large faith. It wasn't a monumental faith. It wasn't a faith that was like exemplary. In fact, Jesus had, uh, would, would interact with a Roman centurion who had a servant who was sick at home. And the Roman centurion come to Jesus and said, Lord, if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. I'm not even worthy for you to come in my house. You just say the word because see, I know how this authority thing works. I'm a man with authority. And when I tell people to come and go, they come and go. And you're, you're the God, you're the Lord. And so if you command, it'll happen. And Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples and said, that's faith, okay? I haven't found faith like that in all of Israel. Well, Jairus wasn't there yet, okay? Jairus came and he said, would you come to my house and lay your hands on my daughter and heal her? Now his faith was imperfect because he's thinking Jesus needs to be there in person. He's thinking in the normal way of healing that he needed to lay his hands on her and impart some virtue or some healing power, not considering in his mind that Jesus could heal her right there with a spoken word. And yet Jesus, listen to this now, Jesus honored his faith, even though it was imperfect, even though it wasn't full, Jesus recognized that he honored it. This is a great blessing in life today. It's not a great faith that God's looking for in us. He's just looking for faith. He's just looking for us to trust him. He's just looking for us to say to him, Lord, I know my faith is weak. Help my unbelief. Help me because I trust you. That blesses God. And he's pleased with that. And he honors that. And so Jesus said, I'll come with you to your house. Now, what spiritual lessons can we draw out of this passage? Well, they're, they're pretty intuitive and we'll, we'll just run down them very quickly. When a lost man or woman comes to Jesus Christ, they have to do what Jairus said. We have to lay aside our dignity and we have to lay aside our pride. We have to humble ourselves. We have to come before God with a, with a humble spirit. Let me tell you how important, how important humility is when we come before God to be saved. In James 4, 6, in the last part of the verse, listen to this. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let that sink in for just a minute. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The word resist in the Greek means, it's a military term that means he actively fights against the proud. That's what it means. It isn't just that God puts his hand up and resists the proud, it means that God actively, actively fights against those who are proud, those who are arrogant. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, there's a list of things that God hates. What's the number one on the list? A proud look. God hates pride. Why? Because pride's the root of sin. Pride's the root of rebellion. Pride's the root of arrogance and, and, and rebellion against God. And God said, no, humble yourself. Come to me and humble yourself. In fact, James said in James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he'll do what? He'll lift you up, okay? And that's how we get saved. We come to God with no pretense, no self-worth, no pride, no arrogance. And we say, God, if we're measuring people, I'm about as low as it gets, okay? I'm a sinner, and I believe you'll save me. And man, God delights in that. God rejoices in that when we come that way. Lost men and women must come 
with a humble heart, humble before God. You know why most people won't get saved? They're too proud, too arrogant, too settled in their life, too connected to their traditions, too connected to all their stuff. They won't humble themselves and say, I need a savior. The second thing that we see in this, in this passage is not just that he has faith, but it's the kind of faith that was really driven by circumstances. And that's okay, because sometimes God arranges our lives so that things come into our lives and listen, and we have nowhere else to look. And God is a master at putting us in a box. God's a master at getting us down on the last knot on the rope and you're hanging on and you're thinking, what am I gonna do now? And God goes, I'm right here, I'm right here, okay? And see, and see, so God brought Jairus to this place where the circumstances brought him to Jesus. I would suggest to you, we need to be sensitive as we move through life because there are people who are struggling and there are people who have trouble in their lives and they wanna come talk to you about it, especially if they know you're a Christian. If they know you're a Christian, isn't that interesting that if somebody knows you're a Christian and have trouble in their life, they wanna tell you all about it. You know why that is? Because they recognize, you in some, they recognize in you something they need. And in their trouble, you might be the exact person to tell them about Jesus and help them find what they need. Because no matter what's going on in life, there's one thing we need, right? Jesus. We don't, everything else is good, but we need Jesus. And so Jairus was brought to, to Jesus, really, and his faith was founded in Christ by the circumstances of his life, a small faith, but faith nonetheless. Now, while this conversation's going on and Jairus is falling down before Jesus, and he said, yeah, I'll go with you to your house, and they begin to move out, and the crowds are just thronging around Jesus, <clears throat> Mark tells us that there's another person there with a need, and it's a woman. Uh, look at verse 25, and let's read down to verse 34 and find out about this woman who's in the crowd who has a need. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Verse 29, immediately the fountain of blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples asked him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who, who had done this thing. But the woman, I'll notice this in verse 33, the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I call this woman uh, an example of, of last hope, of last, last uh, opportunity. Uh, we're told about a woman here who had a, an issue of blood. Now, for her to have this for 12 years would have seriously impacted her life. It would have created a situation in her life where she would have been perpetually, ceremonially unclean. Meaning she would have never been allowed to worship in corporate worship. She would have never been allowed to be in crowds. In fact, the truth is anybody who came in contact with her would themselves be made unclean. And so she ain't even supposed to be there, all right? She's not even supposed to be in the crowd. But here's, here's another case now. What do we learn from this case? Here's another person who had tried everything in life. Uh, a matter of fact, Mark is throwing shades at the physicians here. He said, she's gone to the physicians. 
She paid everything she knew how to do. She did everything. She took every remedy. She did every treatment, and she's worse. And so this woman, this woman had spent her whole living trying to find some remedy for the thing that was wrong with her physically, and then she heard about Jesus. And she came to Jesus, and in the same way Jairus had faith born in him, so this woman said, you know, I've heard what Jesus did for other people, and maybe he can do that for me. Maybe he can help me. But in her condition, she doesn't want to approach Jesus openly. She thinks, if I can just get close enough to him to touch the hem of his garment, then I know that I can be healed. Now, the application here for us is very straightforward. The world is full of people today, all over the world, looking for something. And everybody's looking for something. I, I wrote down a list. Some people are looking for emotional healing, but they're looking in all the wrong places. Their hearts are troubled. They're emotionally upset. And they're looking for help and, and, and medicines and, and nothing wrong with medicine. I'm not, you know, God gave us medicine and gave us physicians and gave us psychiatrists and psychologists, uh, godly men and women who are gifted and can help us. But people are looking for help emotionally in all the wrong places in the world. They're looking for it in sin and they're looking for it in drugs and, and alcohol and they're looking for it in relationships that come and go and it's one thing after the other, they're looking in the wrong places. There are people in the world who are looking for, for relational healing. Maybe they went through a broken home or a broken relationship and they're looking for somebody to mend that broken heart and they're looking in all the wrong places. Some people are looking for purpose in life. Why am I here? Uh, what, what's my life all about? What, what can I do? Uh, do I have a purpose for being here? What's my value? And they're looking for value in all the wrong places. Their, their, their self-worth is measured by what other people think of them or what they're wearing, the latest trends or shoes or hats or clothes. And they're looking in all the wrong places for their, for their purpose in life and their self-worth. And then there are people who are struggling with identity and looking for who they are in life. And in society, people are looking in all the wrong places. Men are trying to be women, and women are trying to be men, and, and people are confused about who they are. They're looking in the wrong places. They're asking the wrong people, and they're asking the wrong questions. And then there are people who are looking for healing from their anxiety. What's going to happen to me when I die? And what will happen tomorrow? And how's life going to go? And I'm afraid. And they're looking for calm and peace in all the wrong places. Oh, and here... As Daniel was sharing, there are people who are looking for a spiritual healing, but they're looking in all the wrong places. They're looking in religion. They're looking in tradition. They're looking in family tradition. They're looking at what somebody tells them. Oh, just be this religion or do these things and everything will be fine. They're looking in all the wrong places. No, listen. You want to know where the answer is to all these things? In one person, Jesus. Jesus can give us emotional healing. Jesus can give us joy and peace and confidence. Jesus can heal us relationally because listen, if this relationship's right with God, these relationships can be what they're supposed to be. If this relationship's right with God, then the marriage can be what it's supposed to be. And relationship with children can be what it's supposed to be. And relationship between us can be what it's supposed to be if this relationship's right. Jesus can heal uh, identity crises and, and anxiety and, and the spiritual need. Jesus is the answer. And so this woman, having this need in her life, having tried everything, she comes to Jesus. And then I wrote down here, you know what this woman illustrates for us? She demonstrates to us the freedom that confession brings. The freedom that confession means. Now, I don't advocate 
that, uh, and I know some churches and religions do where you really want to be free, just come up here and get it all off your chest. No, let's not do that, okay? When it says confess, it means between you and God, all right? It means between you and Jesus. What this woman illustrates is she had, she had snuck in there behind Jesus and she had got her way in the crowd and she touched the bottom of his garment and she knew immediately when she did that that she was healed and it was her faith, her faith that Jesus could do it that brought the healing. And so Jesus knew that, that virtue and power had gone out of him and, 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 and I believe Jesus being God in flesh, he knew all about this woman before she got there. And so she touches his garment, she's healed. And, then, and she tries to slip away, right? She's got her healing. She says, now I'm going to slip right back out the crowd. Life's going to be good. And Jesus stops and looks around and says, who touched me? Now, to show you how clueless the disciples were, which those, those poor fellows were most of the time, right? They look at Jesus and say, what do you mean who touched you? You don't see this mass of people that are pushing on you? Jesus said, no, 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 no. Somebody really touched me. Some, somebody touched me with a purpose. And he turned around and he looked at the woman. Well, now, you, now you're caught, right? Because now Jesus is looking at you. So she comes just like Jairus and she falls down before Jesus and it says she confessed everything. Now listen, I know from personal experience how good it feels to fall down before Jesus and tell him everything. That's liberating, okay? It, it, it sets you free. Because Jesus, watch this, you can tell a lot of people about your troubles and ain't a thing they can do about it. But you can tell Jesus about your troubles and he can do everything about it. So he's the one you need to be telling. He's the one who can minister to us. He's the one who can heal the broken body, the, the, the broken heart, the broken spirit. And so confession, confession is essential. In fact, confession is a critical component of being saved, isn't it? I mean, I know we, get, we like to talk about repentance and we like to talk about confession. Let me break it down for you in VBS vernacular. You ready? VBS vernacular. If you're gonna come to Jesus, the first thing you have to do is admit that you're a sinner. What is that? Is that not confession? Is that not saying to God, I'm exactly what you say I am? I'm exactly who you say I am, I'm lost? I'm lost in my sin and I need a savior. And so in VBS vernacular, what do we do? We admit, then we believe, we put our faith in him, in Jesus Christ, and then we ask him. What do we do? We ask him to save us. So confession, confession is absolutely critical to the salvation process. I'll go so far as to say this, a person who refuses to confess their sin to God will never get saved. They won't do it. If they, if they won't realize and be willing to say to God, I'm a sinner and, I'm, and I am guilty before you and I deserve your judgment, but I ask for your grace, they won't ever get saved. Let me further add to this. Why is it so important that when we share the gospel with people that we talk about sin? I'm gonna ask you a, a, a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer out loud. Does anybody that you talk to like to talk about sin? In fact, as soon as you mention sin, you get the wall, right? I don't want to talk about sin. We can talk about anything, but we ain't talking about sin. Why? Because we all got sin. And nobody wants to talk about sin. But it's imperative that we talk about sin. Because unless a person knows why they need to be saved, they're not going to get the whole picture. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did Jesus leave heaven and come here and live a sinless life and hang on the cross and die 
because we are sinners. We're all sinners. Matter of fact, I've had people get upset that, that I call them a sinner. You're a sinner. Well, I don't sin. Well, I bet your wife says different. I mean, we're, we're all sinners, right? I bet the people that know you best say different. We're all sinners. So this woman, this woman came before Jesus, fell down before him, confessed all. I came here because I had this need and you healed me. And, and Jesus' answer to her in verse 34 was, daughter, your faith has made you well. And then Jesus said, go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Isn't that how Jesus saves us? You come to him, he heals us spiritually, saves us and says, now go in peace and, and be healed. That's what he does. So we have to confess. Now, let me finish with the rest of Jairus' story. So we had scene one, we had Jairus and his daughter and he comes and then we have scene two, this woman interrupts their progress to Jairus' house, touching her robe and he stops and he talks to her. Now, I, I don't know, it doesn't say, but I have, to, I have to almost imagine that Jairus is standing there while Jesus is dealing with this woman tapping his foot. You know, my daughter's sick, she's gonna die, we need, we, we need to go, right? And Jesus is talking to this woman. Well, the worst possible thing that could have happened, happened. While Jesus is dealing with this woman, bad news comes from Jairus' house. Look at verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter's dead, why trouble the teacher anymore? In other words, she died, you don't have to bother him anymore. Boy, that's a lack of faith, isn't it? Jesus can do something while she's alive, but now she's dead, he can't do anything. But watch what Jesus said, verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of synagogue, now watch this, do not be afraid and believe. Well, that's powerful. Wait a minute, you said don't be afraid. He just told me my daughter died. Don't be afraid and believe. Verse 36, verse 37. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and he saw the tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. They had professional mourners there who would have been, been raising the roof off the place because the girl died. Verse 39, when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? And the child is not dead, she's sleeping. And they ridiculed him, they laughed at him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered into the child where the child was laying. So they laughed at Jesus, Jesus put them all out of the house. He took Peter, James, and John, and the mom and dad, and he took them into the room where the girl's body was laying. Now, verse 41. And he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated little girl, I say to you, arise. Now look at verse 42. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. Now I don't have a lot of time, but let me just hit some high points of this because it's it's fantastic. Jesus just grabs this little girl's hand and tells her to get up. She had been dead, no life in the body. Jesus held her hand, said, get up, and life returned to the body. Now, I don't know what she died of. I don't know what the, I don't know what the sickness was, but Jesus healed her and restored her to life in one, in one thing. He just said, get up, and she got up. Now, there's some things about about when Jesus raises people from the dead, if you look at them all in the Bible, he raised three people from the dead and this is one of them. He always told them to give them something to eat. That's interesting. You can come up with a lot of reasons for that. I guess being dead makes you hungry. I'm not, I'm not sure, 
I don't know any other reason. But the fact is, Jesus said, give them some food. Now, it might have something to do with validating that, hey, they're back alive. Their body was weak from having died. Now it needs to be, it needs sustenance. It needs to be revived physically. So give them some food. So he said to this girl, she got up, she walked and said, give her something to eat. He also told them, don't tell anybody. He strictly commanded them, don't tell anybody. Why? Same reason. Word gets out that Jesus is raising dead people. He really won't be able to do any ministry. He won't be able to, he won't be able to preach or do anything because why? Everybody will just come to see the miracles and it'll make him a big celebrity. Listen, Jesus did not come to be a celebrity to do miracles. He came to preach the gospel and seek and save that which was lost. And so he said to this family, don't do that. Now, the last thing I wanna say, and we'll, and we'll close. I like when he got the news that his daughter had died. Jesus looked at him and said, don't be afraid, just believe. Can I say to us tonight as we, as we close, this world's full of death because of sin. You know what Jesus says to us about death? Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Why? Because he's conquered death. And our loved ones that know Jesus, we're just separated from them for a while. We're gonna see them again, moms and dads and family members. Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe. Let me close with this. We see faith in this passage of Jesus' ministry. We see a man who had a little bit of faith and it resulted in his daughter being raised from the dead. We see a woman who had a little bit of faith just to touch his garment and it resulted in her life being changed. I would say to you who are watching online tonight or you who are here this evening, if you've never trusted Jesus as your savior, just put some faith in him. Just come to him, confess your sin, ask him to save you and God can change your life. God will change your eternity. He'll change you forever. Would you come to him tonight? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage, for the ministry that you engaged in when you walked on this planet. Thank you for this man, Jairus, and his daughter, Lord, and for what you did for him and raising her from the dead. Thank you for what you did for this unnamed woman, Lord, that we don't even know her name, that you healed her, Lord, and restored her to health and changed her life. God, you do that uh, for untold millions and millions and millions, and you've done it throughout the church age. God, those who will come to you by faith, you change their lives, you change them forever. God, if there's someone tonight who's without Christ or someone who needs to pray and accept you, Lord, I pray right now that they would do it. Lord, they would confess their sin. God, I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross. Save me right now. You'll do it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing. If I can pray with you or help you, you come on the first verse. Thank you for being here tonight. In about 10 minutes at 7.10,
And the reason we're going to wait 10 minutes is for the Awana folks to finish up so they can come over. We're going to have our quarterly business meeting. So take a bathroom break, get a drink of water. Uh, if you want to be part of our, our quarterly business meeting, there's only two things we need to deal with. The, the budget, we're going to show you the finance report, and we need to vote some new members in. Shouldn't take long, and unless you've got stuff you want to talk about, we'll talk about it. But uh, about 10 minutes, and we'll get started, okay? Oh, and by the way, if you want to bless Daniel, uh, Bill was supposed to have plates out there. I don't know where Bill's at. Larry? There you go. There's Daryl standing there with plates. So you, you go right by Daryl and, and be a blessing to Daniel tonight if God leads you to do that. 